morning. I will miss you this summer. And uh, I think I could listen to children's stories and special music the rest of the day. That was absolutely beautiful. Well, um, turn my mic on. I don't know what I did with the clicker. Sorry, just a second. There we go. Sorry about that. If you're going to do a PowerPoint, don't forget the clicker. So, The sermon title is Christ's Way, and I'll explain a little bit more of that as we get through the sermon. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we get through this sermon, we're going to realize that's how we find affirmation. But let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the way in which you value us and you love us. And we know that we're to be like you, which means we need to find value in one another. So, Father, share that spirit of affirmation with us that we may be able to build one another up. Uh, Unfortunately, we're not born with that kind of spirit, but we know that we can be born again. Every day we can be an encourager that helps people feel valued. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the sermon is entitled Divine Affirmation. And let me turn that on. That way? There we go. So before we get into some scripture text, let's think about a a few words, uh, some words that have to deal with affirmation. Maybe you can think of some other words and raise your hand. But it's to affirm someone is a way of encouraging someone, isn't it? It's an encouragement. People need encouragement? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, What about recognition? Did Jesus recognize people? You know, there's a statement in Spirit of Prophecy that he never passed by a human being as worthless. He recognized everybody. Do people get passed by in our society? They get overlooked, not recognized? Okay. Uh, We're to be the salt of the earth. This is how, this is part of the mission God has given us. Not just to tell people which day is the Sabbath or what happens when a person dies, but you got to build people up. You got to build people up. Valuing people. You know, some of you know I work in a prison as a chaplain, and a lot of the guys that are there are probably because they've been undervalued. A lot of things that they did was a matter of feeling like to, like they could belong to something. Even being part of a gang is a way of being valued because they grew up in an environment where they were not valued. Uh, validation, uh, commendation, or support. Any other words you can think of that we could put in this list here? A way of affirming people. All these are very critical, not just in helping another person, but in helping ourselves. Uh, when we value people more, more, we're more likely to witness, aren't we? And to talk about Christ. Okay. Perhaps 
one of the most precious Bible verses is at Christ's baptism. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am, I'm well pleased. How do you think Jesus felt about that? You know, when he went into the wilderness uh, for 40 days, tempted 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil tried to, and there's a little book called Confrontation. It's, a, it's, it's not real thick, but it's, it's every statement Sister White ever wrote about Christ's experience in the wilderness. And as you read that little book, you realize that the devil is trying to get Jesus to believe that he wasn't the Son of God. Well, if you're the Son of God, why are you so emaciated? Uh, wouldn't your father provide food and water and and why would you look this way and so forth? And he tried to get him to, to believe that he wasn't who he thought he was. But Jesus never forgot these words. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When we approach the end of time, things will be said to us that will show to us that in the world we're not valued. And there's words we're going to have to remember to remember how we're valued by God. Because the laws will be passed that you can't buy and sell. How are you going to feel about that? How are you going to feel when there's a death decree against you? So that's how the world will look at us. But we need to remember how God looks at us. Remember our value as God sees us. Jesus said, uh, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, the Father speaking, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it. And so the the Father, in a way of affirming his Son, because Jesus lived for the Father. He submitted himself. I don't do anything. I don't say anything. I don't do anything unless the Father shows me. This is how he knew he was pleasing the Father. And glorifying the Father. And the Father says back, you have been pleasing me. You have glorified me. You have glorified me and pleased me. And everything you've done from, the, from when you heal people and you meet people and you take an interest. And in every human being, you try to comfort them. And you will glorify me. You will make me proud. I am proud of you. I love you. And I will glorify myself in your death and in your resurrection. Because your resurrection will be glorious. And I will be glorified through it. And as we think about those kinds of words, we want to please the Father by our works. Not works to be saved, but works to glorify Him. We don't do anything to be saved. We do it because God loves us. And nobody in the universe loves us more than the Father. He values you and me more than anybody values us, even our parents, right? And so uh, he will glorify it. And again, the the reason is, is because of his submission to the Father and doing all things that please him. You know, throughout ministry and throughout the years, and I know in the prison, sometimes you hear people say, My father never said he was proud of me. He never said, I'm pleased with you. And uh, I remember this one story of a man, he's he's with his father, he tried to do, he spent spent his life 
trying to hear those words. And even when his father's on his death, that he, he never said those words. And now he can't. But he needed to hear it. It's important. You know, Mark Twain once said, I can go two months on one good compliment. You know, when somebody affirms you and values you, it gives you strength. It gives you hope. It gives you energy, so to speak, to, to get through the day. Um, there are people in the church who have been told by their father, their earthly father, I'm proud of you, son. But don't feel that they're pleasing their heavenly father. There's a lot of people in the church who feel that way. I've pleased my father who's earthly, but I'm I'm not sure that I've pleased my heavenly father. And and they want to believe that the father in heaven could say, I'm proud of you. My son, I'm pleased. That would make a huge difference, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at this verse. Because this verse, to me, tells us a lot about how we are affirmed heaven's way. Having predestinated us, that God had predestined us, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us what? We are acceptable, we are affirmed, we are valued in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Is in Jesus. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of our grace. So as I look at that verse, those couple few verses, our Heavenly Father is pleased with us when we are in the Beloved, when we are in Christ. And as the Father was pleased with Jesus as he submitted his will to the Father, God is pleased with us when we are submitted to Christ. And so our sermon title, Christ's Way. The way that leads to eternal life, the life that leads to hearing the words, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, is based upon our willingness to submit to the way of Jesus. The Father is pleased with us when we choose Jesus as our pattern. Whatever Jesus said, however he saw people, however he treated people, you want to be like that? The Father is, he's pleased. And when we choose not to be like that, he's not happy, but he still still loves us. But we want to be pleasing, and so we, we hunger to be like Jesus because we hunger to hear those words, I am pleased with you. I'm proud of you. But the greatest way to hear those words, the only way to hear those words, is to choose to be like Christ and be in the beloved. Yes. 
and say in your heart, what I want to be is like Jesus. That's the most logical way to go. And as long as we're in Christ, was the thief on the cross, did the, was the father pleased with the thief on the cross? Absolutely. Why? Because he submitted to the authority of Jesus. He believed that even while Jesus was hanging on the cross, that he could promise him what? Eternal life. He didn't do any works on the cross. He couldn't. It was his submission to accept that love that was already there. And when we realize how much God loves us and how Jesus came down here to live a life for us that we would choose to have that life, God is pleased. So as we submit to Christ as our Savior for the forgiveness of sins, I instead of trying to work my way to heaven, God's not pleased with that. Amen. What God is pleased with is when I say, you know, I need a Savior. I'm a helpless sinner in need of a Savior. And I give my sins to Christ. Is the Father pleased? Yes. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to receive a new life. And you say, I, I choose to no longer walk in the flesh. Yes. But to now walk in the Spirit. Yes. To live a new life. Is the Father pleased? Yes. Absolutely. And day by day, choice by choice, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Because that's your choice. Mm-hmm. And the Father is pleased. It's a beautiful statement. Let's think about some of these key words. The glory that rested upon Christ is a pledge of the love of God for us. I want to just stop right there. The glory that fell upon Christ at his baptism, the dove came down in the form of the Holy Spirit, right? And he hears the words, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Those words weren't just for Jesus. They are for Jesus. But you notice that key word up there? That it's a pledge to us. That Jesus came here so that we could be different. Jesus came here so we could be his children. In which every one of us as a son and daughter, God could say, you're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And as we see that beautiful scene of the father saying it to his son, Jesus, that was a pledge of him wanting to say it to us. And if you stay in Christ, you will hear those words. And those words are for you, even now, as you submit to Jesus. You are a child of God in the Beloved. And those words are for you as well as they were spoken to Jesus. Let's read the rest of this. By sin, each was cut off from heaven and alienated from its communion. But Jesus has connected it again with a sphere of glory. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? His love has encircled man and reached the highest heaven. The light which fell from the open portals upon the head of our Savior will fall upon who? Upon us. As the Holy Spirit came upon Christ and the anointing of his ministry, it falls upon us as we pray for help to resist temptation. The voice which spoke to Jesus says to who? 
the same voice that spoke to Jesus says to every believing soul, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. As you and I are willing to be encircled in the sphere of Jesus, right? You want to be in the sphere, in the atmosphere of Christ to become more like him. Instead of trying to work your way to heaven, you just choose to be in the sphere of Jesus. As you study his life, which is a life of perfect obedience, you realize this is how you hear those words, how you believe those words, not because you worked hard enough to earn hearing it. That will never happen. But it's as you walk in the life of Jesus, in the sphere of Jesus, day by day, choosing to become more like him. And there's this key thought here. It's as we pray for help. If I am tempted and I say, Father, help me, is the Father pleased? Absolutely. When I say help to resist temptation, the Father's pleased. But if I am tempted and I say, you know, I'm going to grit my teeth, I'm going to overcome this by myself. Father happy? No, not at all. He's not happy because he wants to help you. Yes. What saddens his heart is when we try to do it by ourselves and yes. don't rely on divine power. Yes. He wants to be with us. He wants to be in us. He wants us to be successful. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that without him, we cannot be successful. Yes. So it pleases him when we choose to be in his sphere. When we choose to be in the presence of Christ, realizing he is the life. Mm -hmm. This is what makes him happy. Think of some of these words of, or this combination of verses here. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Do you find affirmation in that? Everybody in the world has sinned and are. And Christ came from heaven, the glories of heaven, left all that to come here, put on human flesh. Does that give you value? Does God affirm your value just on the fact that Jesus chose to become a man to save us from our sins? He, he would only do that if he loves you and values you and says you're worth all this. All the pain, all the opposition that I face is more than worth going through for you. And in our world, sometimes you'll hear people put you down. Or people will walk by you and, and just not even notice you. But not so with God. We're not going to find our affirmation from a fallen world. The world's, a fallen world will not going to build you up unless you choose to be just like them. Isn't that right? But when you choose to be different. The other verse, behold, a virgin shall be a child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
God chose to be with us to what? To save us. But you know something? He also just chose to be with us. Isn't that right? One of the best ways to value someone is to spend time with them. Right? When you spend time with someone, you value them. So when I'm at the prison and there's guys that are in solitary, when you go down that corridor of 90 inmates who did something that put them in solitary, and you go by and you say, how can I help you? Can I pray for you? Is there something you'd like to talk about? Does that show value? It absolutely Many of these men have no connection with their families anymore. How would you feel? Family doesn't have anything to do with you anymore. No phone calls, no letters. You wouldn't feel valued anymore. But what if somebody came by and spent time with you and wanted to know your thoughts and how you're doing and have prayer with them and how can I help you? You get to feel better? We live in a very hurting world. And the first thing we do is don't put out the testing truths. We find a way to people's hearts. Then you have a chance to share. You find out where people are hurting. Do what you can to help. Now they're in a better position to hear. Right? Kind of proving the soil of the heart, so to speak. We find affirmation that God so loves us and so values us that he would even, the Son of God would put on human flesh. That's amazing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If Jesus came here, and he could have, it would be completely against his nature, but if we served a God who was angry, as a lot of people see God, he could have spent his whole time just condemning us for the things we've done. But how would you feel? How would you feel about worshiping a Jesus who only focused on all your wrongs? You didn't do this right, you didn't do it, you messed up here, and you messed up there. How would you feel? But you know, Jesus doesn't focus on your faults. He focuses on what you can be. Yes, sir. Not what you are, but how you'll be transformed. Mm-hmm. In our fallen world, a lot of times people are looked at as worse than they actually are. Right? Or simply as they are. But Christ looked at us as what we could become. He sees value in us. He says, you can. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. I died for you and I died for everybody else because there's value in you. You are redeemable. There's a work to do. And the first thing to do is just give me your sins. I don't even want you burdened by them anymore. I would be very pleased. Just give them to me. 
and you're free. And I'll look at you as if you've never sinned. And then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit in return for those sins so that now you can live a new life where you'll be happier, there'll be joy, there'll be love, there'll be peace. This is how he values us. It would be nothing for God just to create another world. All he'd have to do is say the words. Imagine the work involved. Eight billion people right now, all with different thoughts, and the Holy Spirit takes his time to know every thought, and he's thinking about how, how to move, how to bring people in our life, situations to bring us to Christ. He doesn't think about what we've done that's wrong. He doesn't think about, wow, this person's never... Even people God knows will never accept Jesus. How does God treat them? With love. If the atheist wants to stop smoking, God helps him stop smoking. God doesn't say, I'll help you stop smoking if you believe in me. And we've got to be the same way. We've got to be willing to help people who are suffering, whether they join our church or not. Amen. Because that is God's nature. It's putting value in people. And hopefully when we put value in them, they'll put value in themselves. And make better choices. I want to look at a few verses. Uh, The next three slides are about Christ's prayer. We're going to look at a part of that beautiful prayer in John 17. But I want us to think a little bit about these words. All are mine, all are mine are thine, as Jesus prays to the Father, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Who's the them? It's us. Our affirming Savior is glorified as we are faithful to him and his mission. You and I could choose a life where Christ is glorified By what we do. And remember, this is the same Jesus who affirms value in you. Who wants you to live for eternity. And our response to his value he sees in us should be us choosing to live a life that does glorify him. What does that life look like? Well, we read about it in the Gospels. It's a record of his life. And that's what we want. We want that life. We keep the Sabbath because what day did Jesus keep? The Sabbath. We believe in the resurrection. We don't believe people go to heaven or hell at death, but we believe in the resurrection, that beautiful day, because Jesus taught it. We believe in healing the sick because that's what Jesus did. We believe in breaking down social prejudice, just like Jesus, who talked to the Samaritan woman and healed the centurion servant, who, who ate with publicans and sinners because, because Jesus did. That's the faith of Jesus. And this is how we give glory to him. Not by choosing to continue to live the old life, but to continue to live the new life, which is, as a sermon title, Christ's way. Yes. That's how we please God, by living Christ's way. 
And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. And what was the joy of Jesus? It says in Hebrews 12, 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Imagine that statement. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are pleasing to our Father as our joy isn't to be entertained by the world. Our joy is to be used by God No matter what might happen to us, our joy is that by the way we live, people come to know Christ. In the end of time, it will be illegal for us to promote the Sabbath when there's a Sunday law. But you have joy. You're not afraid. You're not going to become a seventh-day survivalist and hide yourself. Your joy will be to tell the people the truth just before Jesus comes, even if you have to endure a cross. That, my friends, is Christ's way. And the Father is, he's pleased. When we have that kind of spirit, we have that kind of, of life. And then Jesus says in his prayer in verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Do you feel valued when you realize that Christ came from the glories of heaven, put on human flesh, and he sanctified himself in this flesh so that you and I could be sanctified? Does that give you value? Does that give you affirmation? That he came here for that singular purpose. And even if you were the only sinner in the world, Jesus would have still come down to live a sanctified life in this fallen flesh just so that you could be sanctified in the truth. And you'd say, Jesus, would you do that for me? You would leave the glories of heaven and all those adoring angels for me? You'd come and my fallen flesh and live a sanctified life and die for me just so that I could live a different kind of life. That I could be made holy. He says, yeah. I value you personally that much. That's how God looks at us. I and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world might know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. How much does a father love his son? Did you know you're loved as much by the father as he loves Jesus? But notice what it also says here, that we may be made perfect in one with who? With them. Who's them? The father and the son. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I think we talk about a new earth. The new Jerusalem will be here. God's capital will be here. God himself will be here. But there's something more here that we're not fully understand. Christ has forever put on human form. And there's something about how much God values us that he brings us in this circle. Not that we would ever be divine or be God. 
but he's allowing us to come into some special divine human relationship that I have no idea what all that includes. But I believe what he just said here. That there's a oneness that we'll have with them that we don't fully understand. That's how much God values you. And this is what motivates us to want to be like him. I mean, the first angel's message starts off, give glory to God. Choose to be like him. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. God values us so much that he didn't just choose to put on human flesh for 33 years. He wants you to be in his presence for how long? If you choose to be with someone for eternity, are you valued? I want them to be with me and see my face every day. I want that where I am, I want them with me. You're valued. There's there's no other way God could show his value for us more than this. That he wants us to always be able to be in his presence. Think of these words in John 14, 3. And usually when we quote these words, we're always thinking about, boy, I'm going to have a mansion in heaven. But I want us to think a little deeper here. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am. Because I want you to be there. Wherever I am, I want you with me. And a lot of times we keep thinking about the mansion. And it will be beautiful. Just the way you would want it. But it's about being with him. That gives us our value throughout eternity. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I send to you that he, he, who's he? The Lord. Shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And so we wind up going to heaven. We're going to be sitting at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And the tables are miles long. The redeemed. And who's going to serve you? You're going to feel welcomed. You're going to feel valued to be at the table of the redeemed. And Jesus himself will gird himself. And he will serve you. Why would he serve you? Because he values you. Because he loves you. And we're like, oh, no, don't, don't serve me. Let, us, let me serve. Isn't that kind of what Peter was saying? No, don't, don't wash my feet. And when Jesus washed their feet, he put value in them. And you know what? They were arguing who was the greatest until Jesus washed their feet. And you know, as Sister White says, they never argued who was the greatest again after that. Because Jesus valued each one equally. Isn't that something? 
I think this is our final slide. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. And it goes on. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained in beside them five talents more. He said unto, unto him, what? All oh, those words we want to hear, isn't it? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of my Lord. And then we find in this devotional book by uh, Sister White, it is not to those who have the greatest number of talents to whom the well done is spoken, but to those who in sincerity and in faithfulness have used their gifts for the master. There is a great work to be done in our world, and we are accountable for every ray of light that shines upon our pathway. Impart that light. And you will receive more light to impart. Great blessing will come to those who use their talents aright. It doesn't matter how many talents. What matters is our faithfulness to him. The man who was on a hunger strike at the prison... They couldn't get him to eat. He wouldn't look at anybody. He wouldn't talk to anybody. And I was on that committee. I didn't know about it to that committee. And I said, I'll go to him. He was in solitary. And he comes and he wouldn't even look at me. No eye contact. And I say, hi, I'm Chaplain Weir. I'm the new chaplain here. And... If there's something you want to talk about, I hear you're not eating, but I'm here for you if you you can sit here and talk if you like. Well, he starts talking a little bit and wouldn't make any eye contact. And and, uh, while I'm here, I shouldn't be here. I've been falsely accused of something. I start telling him, you know, there in the Bible, there's a story about a guy named Joseph who was falsely accused. He says, really? And now we're making eye contact. And as I was telling them the story of Jesus, well, that's my story. And I never used the word hunger strike because he says he was on a fast. So I just used the word fast. I says, you know, there's different kinds of fasts. You could be on a watermelon fast. You could be on a fruit fast. And probably what's best for you is not to get onto heavy food after you haven't eaten for four days. Get on something simple. Oh, really? So now we're just talking about fasts, talking about Joseph's story. And you know, he speaks well. And I says, you know, you speak well. Let's study tomorrow. So I gave him a Bible. He started reading the story of Joseph. We had our Bible study the next day. And he's telling me the story of Joseph because he read it. And I says, man, you read really good. What am I doing? I'm affirming him. You speak well. And I wasn't lying. He really does. 
What's he going to want to do now? Read more. Speak more. And we had it. I says, look, let's ask God to anoint your abilities. That when you talk, you talk about spiritual things. You say words that build people up. You want me to pray for you that way? Yeah, absolutely. The assistant warden came up to me the next day, and she says, he's never said anything nice to me. He's never given me a kind look, but he was waving at me, and he was happy. It's like, what did you say to this man, you know? All I was doing was affirming him. I wasn't flattery, because flattery is saying things that aren't true. I didn't say you're the greatest orator in the world. But he did speak well, and he did read well, and it was all true. And he deserved to hear because maybe he's never heard words like that. But in those, those few words, he went from no eye contact, and we just have a great study laughing and talking and this and that, because it matters when you take time with people. It doesn't matter what they've done. People can change. And God wants to use us in his servants, in his service, to help people find the one who values them more than anyone. Let us pray. Our Father, wherever we may be this summer, use us in your vineyard. May our cup be filled with your love and assurance of your love towards us that we may better love our fellow man. So, Father, help us to be encouraged and commit ourselves to you as the first work in the morning, that our day may be blessed. Father, use us in this world where there's so much suffering and where there is yet very little time. So, Father, thank you for the doors of opportunity you will open up to us as we commit ourselves and our availability for service. And also, Father, increase our abilities to help more people in more ways. So, Father, thank you for the love that you shed upon us each and every day that tells us that you love us, that you value us, that we would be with you for eternity. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.